This is Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears and I'm joined as always by Federico Vitici. Hi Fraser, how are you? I- I'm cold and I'm in the dark, Federico. That's my biggest problem oh, man. this week. That, that's yeah. sad. Why are you doing why? <laughs> why are you I live in, in the Scotland dark? And it's January and it's miserable, that's why. Uh, I need <laughs> I need the daylight to come back. It's like living in a cave. It's terrible. But oh, uh I'm spring is coming, so yeah, that's well, uh, that, I'm that's the hope. Yeah. <laughs> it's nearly over. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So this Apart week we're that, we're fine. talking we're talking about um, remote screen access. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we we jump into that conversation, there's a, I think some follow up that you received uh, from our last show about uh, SSH and the secure shell on iOS. Yeah, so we, we were uh, talking last week about using SSH to to log into remote computers from iOS devices and issue commands there by typing them in or interacting with software on the other side. Uh, and the developer of an app called SSH OneShot got in touch, uh, and I thought it was quite an interesting um, different type of client, and I thought it was worth mentioning for people who may be interested. Uh, the idea with uh, SSH, SSH OneShot is that you, you set up um, individual commands on remote machines, and from the app, you just hit a button and that it will log into that computer, run that command, and then disconnect. So, for example, you might want to do that for uh, a server where you need to run software update. And you could just, you know, hit the button, it would log in, run the software update command, and then log out again, and you're done. Well, things like that are, would be quite useful with that kind of app. So, uh, we'll put a link uh, to that in the show notes, but it's just a, a different kind of SSH client that I hadn't actually caught before. Uh, it's kind of similar to what you might be able to do in workflow, but it's a little more kind of dedicated towards uh, doing that with SSH. Oh, this is clever. Uh, it's almost like like launcher, but for executing stuff on a server, which uh, is an interesting idea because I would have done this, I imagine, with some kind of workflow integration or with Pythonista, I don't know. But this idea of you just have an app and it's got launchers, but instead of launching like URL schemes, you launch actions on your server. That is super intriguing. I've been, I've been considering since our last episode, Fraser, I should tell you, the idea of having like a Mac mini server of some kind. Um, not because I want to use a Macintosh more, but because I, I wonder if I could maybe save on a bunch of services that I pay for every single month uh, by having a Mac server that, you know, I, I can, you know, that cost, I can, uh, you know, over time, it would make maybe more financial sense for me. And so I've been considering the idea of maybe I could have a server and I could run stuff like backups for my website and I could have, um, I could run, for example, image optim uh, in the, you know, from the command line. And if maybe I could somehow do this stuff over on, on iOS, uh, and maybe I could also screen share into that server, you know, that could be, uh, you could run Plex, you know, a bunch of stuff that I pay for otherwise, if maybe uh, it could be a Mac server. Yeah, it's certainly possible. I mean, all, all the tools are there and they're pretty mature now. We talked about SSH last week and we're going to talk about remote screen access this week, Federico. And I think that um, while it's not, 
when you do SSH, you've got a keyboard and you've got a screen on your iOS device and to get to the remote machine, all you need is a keyboard and a screen and you're basically getting the same experience you would get if you were sitting at a Mac connected to a terminal typing commands on the remote computer. Whereas with remote screen access, it's, there's a little less of a match between what the iOS device can do and what the uh, a full desktop computer can do, if you like, in terms of its control system, right? So um, as we know... Uh, iOS is a touch-based operating system and the kind of computers we're talking about connecting to are not touch-based. So uh, the hardest part really I found is that you have to have some way to control the remote computer's cursor from your iOS device. And it seems that in, in most of the apps I've used to do this kind of remote screen connection business, there's really two basic techniques that people have developed. And one is uh, that you can tap to click. So the idea is that you tap on what you see on the screen, say like when you're looking at a, a Mac screen remotely on your iPad, a dialog box comes up with an OK button and a cancel button and you tap with your finger where the OK button appears. And what happens is that the app that's connecting you to that machine uh, sends a command to jump the remote cursor to where you tapped and then to execute a click. And this whole idea makes it feel kind of like you're tapping on buttons as you would if the button was actually a native iOS button. So for the most part, that, that can feel quite natural. But there are some times when you're doing precise work that you want to have effectively what is like a virtual trackpad. And this is kind of a different mode that most of these applications can use where you use an area of your device, say it's like the, the lower left corner of the screen, and that area behaves like a trackpad. And when you move your finger in that area, the, uh, the, the remote cursor moves in a relative fashion to that as if you were dragging on a trackpad. And this can be very useful for things like uh, text selection or very precise work. Say you're working remotely on a Windows machine where you've got very little interface buttons or something like that, um, and they, you need to have a very precise control over like tiny little checkboxes or something. Uh, the virtual trackpad approach can be quite useful too. And most good remote screen applications support both. Uh, and there are times where it's appropriate to tap to click, and there are times where it's appropriate to use a virtual trackpad. And uh, we use these kind of things in school, and we sometimes see that people have a preference for one over the other, but quite a lot of people will switch between them depending on what it is they're doing on the remote side. So that's, uh, that's one of the kind of basic ideas, or one of the basic things you've got to get over when controlling a non-touch interface with a touch screen, uh, is you've, you've got to have some way to control the remote cursor, and those are the two basic ways that it's done. Do you feel that maybe people who were um, brought up, I guess, in, in maybe in the case of students, but people who are more uh, accustomed to iOS, they tend to keep the um, the the click, uh, the tap-to-click interaction enabled, maybe, because it's more familiar? Yeah, I think I think so. And, and one of the techniques I see people using a lot is uh, zooming into the screen to do some fine detailed work with their finger mm. and then zooming back out. So typically what you can do is you can pinch to zoom and the remote screen will just blow up on your iPad and you can much more easily, you know, it just makes the controls bigger. You can tap on whatever you want to select and then you zoom out again. And that kind of zooming in and zooming out technique is, of course, quite a fundamental thing on iOS. People who are used to iOS are used to doing that, not just on remote screen applications, but on many different applications. Zooming in to do a bit of detailed work and then zooming out with a gesture is very, very common. So that's nothing unusual to people who are used to iOS. Um, so that's kind of what we see. Um, sometimes we see teachers doing that kind of thing with a, they're maybe using the virtual trackpad a little bit more. Uh, but they're maybe trying a few more things uh, vis-a-vis text selection or whatever as well. Yeah, I, I 
personally i do the zoom and click also mm-hmm. uh, yeah it just i was testing this uh, and i will get to this in a few minutes but i was testing this on on my ipad pro last night and actually before the ipad i was using this on the iphone and so i realized um because you know i'm using now a, a 2015 macbook pro you know before uh, mm-hmm. when apple was still making uh, the macbook pros that people like uh, <laughs> i'm using one pro. of the yeah. <laughs> i'm using one of those and it's got a retina display and i realized on my phone i can zoom into the 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 remote screen and it still keeps a high quality high definition uh it looks crisp it looks crisp it looks nice uh, whereas before like uh, for example with my old macbook air the 2011 model that mm-hmm. i used to uh, use as my main computer when i whenever i try to do um remote access to to control the screen it will look all like blurry and mm. low res because as you your phone's actually it, better <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah as you, you you know so now it looks even nicer because you get this this remote access and you can zoom into it and it doesn't look it doesn't look terrible mm-hmm yeah, so that's that's kind of one issue is is the size of controls on the remote side and how to deal with that. The second one is the keyboard, and you know many pro iPad setups have got a smart keyboard or a Bluetooth keyboard that goes along with them nowadays, uh, and that my in my experience that's a much better feeling because uh, you don't have a keyboard flying up over the screen normally when you're using a Mac or a Windows computer, so you get a much more native feeling. You know you can almost. On a, on a bigger iPad Pro, you can almost feel like you're using a, a Mac laptop from time to time if you're on a fast enough connection. But one of the big problems with, with um, if you're not using a hardware keyboard on iPad is that the virtual keyboard can come up for you to type into and that it works fine. But the problem is that the, the remote software doesn't know the keyboard's up covering half the screen. Now, people probably don't really think about this too much, but on iOS, uh, when the keyboard comes up, the app will actually reduce its content space to make space for the keyboard. And then it will expand it again when the keyboard goes away. Now the remote computer doesn't know how to do that. So what you can sometimes end up with is uh, you're typing into something, maybe you're at the bottom of a Word document and then the keyboard comes up and you're actually typing into something that's down behind the keyboard. So that's another case where pinching to zoom can also help you to uh, to get past that because once you've zoomed out, you can just, or zoomed in rather, you can just scroll the screen upwards and get the thing you're typing into to be visible on the iPad screen. But it's, um, we, it's the only situation in school, uh, Federico, where we use a Bluetooth keyboard in class is that when we do that with Windows because um, it's just so much less bothersome if you like to mm-hmm. to use it that way so if you are going to spend a lot of time doing this and a lot of time typing on remote computers I strongly recommend thinking about getting a hardware keyboard of some kind it doesn't have to be smart cover uh, it could be you know 10 pound Bluetooth keyboard from, from Amazon which is what we use in school of course um, and it works absolutely fine so yeah hardware keyboards are, are pretty important for this kind of work yeah, and especially because when, once you log into the machine, you can actually you can actually use desktop keyboard shortcuts as well. So like yep. all the you know uh, iPad apps these days they especially the pro ones they tend to have solid support for keyboard shortcuts on iOS, but on the Mac, arguably they're still more ubiquitous. Like they're more mm-hmm. common, more apps have them, and and it's nice that you can do you know everything you can do with the keyboard on your Mac if you have especially a Bluetooth keyboard, and if it's got even those uh, function keys that the smart keyboard doesn't have, you can mm-hmm. use those on the Mac. So you can 
control iTunes, you can control media yeah. apps, you can do everything. I don't know why you would want to control iTunes unless you want to... Hmm. I used to pull pranks on my friends to <laughs> log into my computer to make it play music or speak stuff with text edit <laughs> and, and text-to-speech. Uh, that could be an idea. Absolutely. Um, th there's uh, the, the one keyboard shortcut that they can't really translate properly is Command-Tab on iOS, because my understanding is that the operating system, the iOS operating system captures that keystroke and brings up the iOS command tab right, interface yeah. before the remote one. So, so that's kind of maddening because they do look quite the same and you sort of see it and you're like, oh, tab, 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 there's OmniFocus. Oh, oh it's the mm -hmm. iPad OmniFocus. It's not the, you know, so it, it, it can sometimes, that one can be a little bit confusing sometimes, but um, the vast majority of them do work uh, really well and, and work correctly as well. Um, and yeah, and I suppose the last thing, Federico, is just mm. to talk about, um, and I know you'll go into this in more detail, but um, when you're looking for a, an app that can do this, how do you connect to the remote computer across the vagaries of the internet, firewalls, mm. NAT gateways, it's remote fun. networks? <laughs> this can all get pretty complex. <laughs> Super fun. Um, yeah, particularly if you're trying to kind of get into the, the, get through a corporate network or something like that, or, or just a more complex network setup than like a home computer. Um, but many services have got a client that you install on the remote computer, and then that helps you to connect to it. It sort of makes a, I don't know if what the right word is, a tunnel maybe that, that connects or a, a, a sort of um, a beacon connection or something. I'm, I'm struggling for the right word tonight. I, I don't have enough technical understanding of how that works, but basically what happens is um, the computer kind of advertises its presence through a service that the, the app connects to, and then the app can find the computer across the network through that service. So Federico, well, that's, that's kind of the basics of talking about what remote screen apps can do. We haven't talked about any in specific detail, but let's talk about our sponsor first and then we'll dive into some specific details if that's okay. This episode of Canvas is brought to you by SaneBox. I bet every person listening to this show has something they don't like about email and that's why you need to try SaneBox. While it would be lovely, it's just not practical to delete all of your email. There's undoubtedly important stuff in there you have to deal with, but one of the big problems is that it all looks the same. At a glance, it's difficult to try and decipher which messages need your attention and which don't. Wouldn't it be nice if your email could be pre-sorted before it even hits your inbox? This is what SaneBox is all about. SaneBox sorts through your email and moves all the trivial stuff to different folders, so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you need. And the great thing is that it will work seamlessly with your current system and with any mail app. One of the best features is called the black hole. All you need to do is move an unwanted email into that folder and you'll never hear from that sender ever again. With SaneBox, you can also set up email reminders, snooze your email, and so much more. Now, Federico, I know you like using black hole. I was wishing I had it set up in my school email today because Qatar Airways keep emailing me for some reason and they've started emailing me in Chinese now. So I don't know what I can do about that oh, apart from man. getting hooked up with SaneBox. How's it working out for you? Yeah, um, I, I was just actually going through. So I have three, actually four maybe main folders uh, with SaneBox. It's uh, Sane Later for uh, unimportant messages or messages from new people that I don't know. Um, same betas that is a custom filter that uh, so i receive a lot of test flight invitation emails and this is like a, just a folder that unifies all of these beta emails and i got same black hole which is a lifesaver and the same news folder and the same news one um it aggregates all newsletter type 
um, services. And I was going through this today because I was cleaning up a bunch of subscriptions that I'm no longer interested in. But it's also like a way to create like a like a sort of reading list in your email, if you think about it. Like if you sign up for a bunch of newsletters, uh, like maybe you sign up for Club Max Stories or I'm a member of the Six Colors um, membership and I get, uh, like I subscribe to Ben Thompson, for example, and I get all these newsletters and I can go through into the same news folder and I can find all these articles and all these basically blog posts but delivered over email and that they are actually uh, filtered and organized automatically by same box, which is great. So uh, you know, I don't I don't have to keep a long list of uh, of, for example, of tabs in Safari. I can just sign up for newsletters from blogs that I really like. Kotki, uh, even they they have one now. Um, and I think it's it's a great idea to have a service that runs in the cloud, and it's not like a custom rule that if you change email clients, you don't have that automation anymore. Uh, no matter the the email client that you use, Sainbox is al- is always working. And uh, I've, I've been at this point, it's over a year, so I've been using Sainbox for over a year. Um, it works great, and if you get a ton of email, this is the kind of and if, especially if you're like me and you like to use iOS and switch between apps a bunch of times, uh, this is the service for you because you can take your email organization anywhere, and it's fantastic. So to help you get a little more organization in your inbox, we've worked with Sanebox to get you a great deal. Go to sanebox.com/canvas today, and you'll get a two-week free trial, tw- extra twenty-dollar credit just because you listen to this show. You don't have to enter your credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Check it out today and get your email finally under control. Again, that's sanebox.com, S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash canvas. And we thank them for their support of this show. So uh, as we were discussing this uh, topic idea of how do you access um, Macs or desktop, other desktop computers from iOS, um, I thought, well, this is easy uh, because I remember when I used to be a Mac user, there, w- there were a bunch of apps that allowed me to uh, use uh, the VNC, like VNC clients, to log into mm-hmm. my remote computer. And I went onto the App Store, certain that I could have at least five options. What I realized, five solid options, what I realized is that while there are dozens of VNC clients, really, if you care about elegant design, and modern iOS features, especially iOS 11 features, your only option is one, and that would be screens by Adovia. Uh, Screens uh, has has always been my favorite and arguably the premier um, VNC client and, uh, you know, to access a remote computer on iOS. But really, if you take a look at similar apps that have been updated for iOS 11, either in terms of design or features like drag and drop, uh, you're not going to find a lot of solid options. Actually, I couldn't find a really solid alternative to screens. And so I I think I texted you and I was like, I think the only option is screens. <laughs> and so we're going to talk about <laughs> yeah. screens because it's the best one that you can get on iOS 11. Um, so this has been... Uh, screens is made by Adovia is uh, Luke Vandal um, uh, uh, I've known screens since 2010 I think the app has been in development mm-hmm. for a long time at this point Yeah, I um, think it's in version 4 is that right? 
It's, yeah. It's definitely been yeah. significantly uh, upgraded at least a couple of times. In this is period. version, yeah, this is version four. I yeah. remember the first version used to have the skeuomorphic design with the with the with the wooden background fun times <laughs> um anyway um so this is uh on i it's both on ios and on the mac but uh, for the purpose of this episode we're gonna take a look at the ios version so you can connect to your computer in a couple of ways if your computer is set in a way that the system settings allow vnc connections you can just straight up connect to your local address so and that you can find that in your uh, on the mac in system preferences slash uh, not slash but basically under <laughs> sharing sharing panel it's yeah. the it's the panel where you, there's a right at the top of the list there's uh, the screen sharing service which you need to turn on and your local address will be your computer's name followed by dot local so in my case is teaches macbook pros dot local and you can connect directly to this address without having to set up anything else on your local network what the reason why you may need to install the additional screens connect service uh, which is this utility that runs on your mac is if you want to open up remote access outside of your local network that would be the example that i mentioned about uh, before a few minutes ago on the show if you're like if you have a mac server and either you're not home or you have a mac server at a colocation server um look mm, place for example like mac stadium for instance where which is where i host mac stories um you need to be able to have remote access now if this is your you're basically setting up your your home computer to be accessed from outside the network like if you're on 4g you forgot something on the computer at home and you need to log into the computer and put it in dropbox how do you do that there's a couple of ways um you can install Screens Connect, which in theory is the easiest way. Uh, and Screens Connect, it tries to, I think Fraser, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. the, the feature is called the uh, UPNP for Universal Plug and Play. Universal Plug and Play, yeah, that's yeah. right. And this is a way to basically set up a router uh, so that it, it um, opens up the necessary ports and connections to the correct IP address, to the correct machine on the network, so that it can say, uh, with just a click, you don't need to manually forward any port on your router. Uh, UPnP takes care of that for you. It's a it's a simple way to avoid a complex um, workflow. But of course, my router being provided by my Italian ISP that doesn't care about modern standards, it does not support UPnP. So I needed to do this manually. And to do this manually, it means you have to go into your router's um, settings and um, open up, you know, like port 22 for SSH access or port uh, 5900 for VNC and you need to do this for each IP address of the machine that you want to access but then you have another problem which is how do you like what's the address of the machine that you want to access remotely this is where screens connect come in, comes in um, you create an account uh, and you don't have to remember your public IP address. You don't have to remember a dynamic host name, which is also something else that you can do to access a remote machine. Just log in and provide it that the correct ports or UPnP is set up on your uh, home network. You just need to log into your Screens Connect account. 
it will find the remote machine and you will log into the machine using whatever credentials you set up, which could be your macOS credentials, like your username and password, or a guest password, which is also something that you can do, or uh, a dedicated VNC password, which is also another setting uh, enabled by macOS. Is this a correct description, Fraser? Yeah, this is actually a much better description than the one I attempted a few minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, you're exactly right. The, the Screens Connect is basically there to... Um, punch a hole outwards and when I say punch a hole I don't mean in a security risk way it's just a, a way to make it so that um, your computer that might be hidden from the internet's point of view hidden behind your ISP's router um, is actually accessible from when you connect from any Yes. in the world basically so it saves you a lot of bother with dealing with all of these kind of old-fashioned things like what's my public ip address do i have dynamic dns yeah. set up or something like that and also those things can change you know that's hence the dynamic um your public ip address sometimes changes when you restart your internet for example yeah so if you're like me and you have an old modem that you know you know an isp that does not support you uh, uh upmp it is what you need to do uh first i will recommend you need to reserve an IP address for your computer on your local network. So you need to make sure that, for example, your MacBook is always 192.168.1.20. Uh, so that every time the the computer connects to the local network, the machine is always, you know, it's always assigned the same local IP address. And you can usually, in most um, router settings, you can do this by uh, saying this MAC address, so this computer uh, always give this computer the same local IP address. And then either you sign up for Screens Connect, which is what I did, or you manually set up a dynamic hostname service. Uh, for example, one popular one, I think it's called No IP Address, which is one that I mm -hmm. used to use a couple of years ago. It basically gives you a, a, a custom domain name for yourself, which you you type into this this kind of remote access applications, like for example uh, Plex, if you want to access Plex remotely, or Synology, or in this case VNC for screens, and it basically redirects directly to your home connection. It's quite complex, so make sure that you uh, usually you can find official documentation for this based on whatever. ISP you use. It's a whole complex topic and maybe we got something wrong, maybe you know the terminology is not 100% precise, but I think this is a pretty basic description of the issues uh, you know with VNC. Honestly, if if UPnP doesn't work in your router, the easiest thing for you to do is get a new router <laughs> instead of trying to set up. <laughs> if UPnP doesn't work, good yeah. luck. That's Accidentally <laughs> spill some water on it and then phone up your ISP and go, look, something's gone wrong. I don't know what's happened, but you know, yeah. I, need, I need a guy to come out and get me a new one. So I mean, it's possible. Know, fake his death was what I'm saying rather than try and bother with all this stuff. It's possible, but it's a lot of work. That's the summary. Anyway, now we get to the good stuff. So once you got uh, rem a remote computer set up in screens, right away you notice you can, on an iPhone 10, for example, you can set up quick access using a passcode and face ID, which is super nice. You leave the app, you go back in, and you can authenticate into your remote computer using your face, which is incredible. Um, there's lots of options here. You can organize uh, screens in groups. 
you can sync them with iCloud or Dropbox, uh, so you can keep your settings uh, available on multiple devices. You can tweak a bunch of connection settings and access options. There's a like if you tap edit and then you tap on a on a screen, so the screen would be the computer. That's what the app calls them. Uh, you can tweak a lot of connection settings for authentication, color reproduction. You know uh, all the connection preferences you can think about you can find them in here yeah these are basically all the parameters that vnc yes. supports you can tweak them you know there's very rarely a need to go into the advanced settings i would say in screens um uh, except perhaps for authentication if you have some particular requirements there but for the most part these they're just exposing the ways that you can tweak the vnc protocol but uh, very if you're connecting to a mac in particular it's very rare that you need to even really bother with that yeah, and I should also mention that there's a, an optional dark mode as an in-app mm -hmm. purchase, uh, which I did not unlock because I don't spend a lot of time in the app. I, I didn't see the need for uh, this kind of extra option, but it's available. And there's also a, a trackpad mode that I yeah. also did not test for the purpose of this episode because it's, it's uh, not necessary to enable trackpad mode to control a remote computer this is like you can use your ios device as a trackpad for your mac so this is something else um yeah now we get to the to the interactions uh i love using screens uh for one tiny detail that maybe most people won't care about but i love that there's as you mentioned there's both trackpad mode and click mode so you can either uh, swipe across the screen to simulate a trackpad, then you will see the mouse cursor move around and the remote connection, or you can just tap, tap and click and uh, interact with your Mac like, a, like an iOS device. But no matter the option you choose, Screens implements haptic feedback with a taptic engine on, a, on the iPhone 7 and above, so you get of a, a tactile confirmation of each click. So when you click on a window, you feel the tap, and I think that's awesome. It's like, so cool. Yeah. It's so it's so it's so such a minor detail, but it, it adds so much to the experience because you can feel the interaction. And uh, I thought, you know, it's uh, Adobe. Uh, they really care about this kind of stuff, so I was really happy to see that. Um, uh, the the keyboard uh, is one of the as you said one of the uh, common uh, problems with using VNC clients. There's a there's a, a software keyboard in screens that adds a function row where you get customizable shortcuts. So like you you can for example press Command and Shift and then you can uh, you can tap three on the software keyboard and that will be the same as pressing Command Shift three on the Mac to take a screenshot. So even even though there's no com there's no uh, modifier keys on the iPad's keyboard or the iPhone keyboard keyboard you can simulate that with the extra function row in screens which i which i think is really handy yeah th those behave effectively like sticky keys yes um which um if you haven't used it on the mac though that's an accessibility setting where for people who maybe can't do command shift three with one hand you can press command and it'll stick down then you press shift and it'll stick down and then you press three and effectively that's what that's what um, screens is doing for ios the similar kind of thing you select the modifiers you want and then you press the key you want and you get the same kind of effect and it's very very helpful but of course if you have an external keyboard as you know federico you can just yes. you can just do command shift three on a smart keyboard and it will, it will work the same way 
Yeah, and uh, I actually tried it last night. I was uh, I logged into my computer, which was sitting uh, like two meters away from me. But <laughs> um, I took screenshots. I ran workflows with Keyboard Maestro from my iPad using keyboard shortcuts with my bridge keyboard, which I'm now using. And I should say that you know accessing a 13-inch MacBook Pro from a 13-inch iPad Pro with a bridge keyboard, it really creates the illusion that you're running macOS on an iPad. Um, yeah. You know, it's it, it looks quite nice. Um, yeah. One of you can my, forget. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, one of my favorite details, uh, in addition to the Taptic Engine in screens, is the clipboard functionality. Um, so uh, by default, I think uh, the... On, on the Mac, uh, the, the VNC um, functionality has the ability to get and set the contents of the clipboard. And you have the same option in screens. So you can either receive whatever has been copied on whatever is in the clipboard of the remote computer, or you can send your clipboard to the remote computer. What screens can also do is it can share the clipboard. So the moment you copy, something on the Mac, it goes directly into your iOS device. And whatever you copy from your iOS device, it goes straight into the remote connection. And I tried this last night. I copied something on the Mac and I pasted it on iOS. I copied something on iOS and I pasted it on the Mac. And it worked so just cool. beautifully. That's yeah. uh, so nice. Uh, the, there's this menu uh, when you're... Um, connected to a computer there's like a share uh, button that you press it and you get this menu that uh, among various options like uh, there's observe mode that turns off interactions if you just want to watch there's a there's a button that lets you bring up the one password extension on ios if you want to feel a login on a remote <laughs> machine that that's just incredible but yeah. there's also the clipboard stuff which is really nice in this menu yeah, it's very, it's very cool. The, the the integration between the two platforms is is sort of ever increasing. You know, these are these are fairly common features on VNC clients, but just to have all of them, you know, taken care of in in an app like Screens is really cool. And it, like you said at the start, Federico, it kind of speaks to the amount of care and attention that goes into yeah. that app. Yeah, and speaking yeah. of the the integrations with the, with the with the system frameworks, there's even drag and drop support in iOS 11. Now you you, you could I did say, not know this. <laughs> you could say um, this was also a surprise to me, so I did some research, and it's incredible. So you could say, uh, why would you ever need drag and drop in a, in a VNC client? So here's how uh, why you should really try this app. And you pick up something on your iPad, it could be a bit of text, could be a file, could be a screenshot, could be a photo, could be anything. You keep holding with one finger. With the other hand, you go into screens, you connect to a computer, and you keep interacting with the app while the other finger is still holding that file. You interact with the finder on the remote computer, you open a folder, then you take the other finger, you drop the file, and it transfers over from your iPad into the remote computer, into the finder, or into, you know, an email message, into text edit, into whatever it is that you're accessing. It uses the, a secure connection and the drag and drop APIs on iOS 11 and the clipboard functionality behind the scenes to transfer what you're dropping from iOS into the, the position, the cursor position, or the finder, whatever it is, on the Mac or into the remote computer. It's, it, it's amazing. This sort of blurring the line between 
using iOS on an iPad and seeing macOS on a remote computer, it's uh, like I, I did not believe that it would work this well. And instead, I was surprised that it just how natural it is. I picked up, I think uh, it was an image or it was maybe a PDF document. And I, I opened Spark on my Mac using screens on my iPad and I dropped the attachment into the Compose window for Spark, the email client, <laughs> and it just worked. It's crazy, isn't it? It's almost yeah. like the, the Mac becomes an app on your iPad. Yeah, basically, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so uh, overall, there's a bunch of, there's a, a ton of settings you can tweak. There's, um, of course, if you're, if you need to act, I imagine if you're working in a corporate environment, maybe, or if you're an IT manager and you need to, you need to uh, log into a lot of computers, there's a, you know, the group functionality is going to be useful for you. Um, there's, like I said, there's a lot of settings and preferences you can tweak, but I would say if you care about a modern VNC experience on iOS 11, uh, on your iPhone 10, on your iPad Pro, this is the app that you need to, that you need to try. Yeah, certainly no argument for me on that. The screens is the app I've been using since, you know, iOS 6 days and earlier, I'm sure. Uh, and all the things you said about it are true. It's uh, it's remarkably well integrated with iOS. It's very, very performant and, and very well supported. So yeah, yeah, 100% on that. This episode of Canvas is also brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Eero have created the dream Wi-Fi setup, a fast, reliable connection throughout your house and even the backyard. And now is the best time to get on board with Eero as they've just released their new super slick second generation devices. Eero have now introduced their tri-band second generation model along with Eero Beacon, allowing you to build a Wi-Fi system that's perfectly tailored to your home. The new second generation Eero includes a third 5GHz radio making it twice as fast as before. This lets you do more than ever. Whatever your Wi-Fi needs, Eero has the power to blanket your entire home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi. It sits flat on any surface, just plug it into the wall with the included power adapter and you're ready to connect your Eero either with Ethernet or wirelessly. The new Eero also includes a new thread radio, which lets you connect to low power devices such as locks, doorbells and more. And Eero are introducing the new Eero beacon as well. Just plug it into a wall and expand coverage into any room. You can add as many Eero beacons as you want so long as you have an Eero device. And it even includes a built-in nightlight with ambient light sensor. The Eero app lets you manage your network from the palm of your hand and you can also easily create and share a guest network too. And the Eero customer support is amazing. You can call and get a hold of a Wi-Fi expert in just 30 seconds. The new Eero system starts at $399 for one second generation Eero and two beacons and that's everything you need to get started. Listeners of this show can get free overnight shipping to the US or Canada when you head to Eero.com and use the promo code CANVAS. That's E-E-R-O.com with the promo code CANVAS for free overnight shipping. We thank Eero for their support of this show. So Federico, you mentioned um, other desktop computers that were mm -hmm. not Macs, uh, but we did not see their names, um, but we, we should probably see their names um, because this is actually something that I probably spend more time doing than connecting to Macs from iOS devices, is actually connecting to hosted Windows desktops. Um, and we do this in school because we, we teach a class where um, the the exam board they want to see basically the result of using Office on Windows. And sometimes they set assignments where you can only actually, you've only actually got the features you need to finish the assignment on Office for Windows because um, the people who write those exams kind of live in a, a Office for Windows world and we, we don't, so we've got to kind of uh, make it that way. So 
And there, there are a number of kind of virtualized uh, Windows desktop systems that are available. Uh, the one we use is Amazon Workspaces, which comes from Amazon Web Services. And as you know, I'm a big fan of Amazon Web Services. And what they do is they provide you with a virtual Windows desktop in the cloud. Uh, and you pay for this on, on both a monthly, a monthly subscription basis and on a per minute usage basis. So it actually works out quite well for us in school because in school, you know, a, an individual user would only have maybe four or, four or seven hours of class a week. So we, we pay a small amount per month. I think it's about 10 or $12 per month. And we pay, you know, a few pence per minute of their use. So whenever the, the workspace is actually up and running, we're paying per minute. And then when the class is over, the, um, the, the workspace shuts down and you don't pay for it anymore. You don't pay for the per minute costs anymore. It's typical kind of Amazon Web Services kind of approach. Uh, so what we do there is we, we use that. We install uh, Microsoft Office for Windows on on the PC side. The kids can log into it using, we have Office 365 accounts there, and they get the full suite. They can also use Office, the Office apps on iPad. But like I said, some of the assignments we get sent to do with the kids, uh, they, they want them to do like a mail merge out of Microsoft Access or something like that, and we've got to go, well, kids, yeah, here's what it was like when I was at university in the 1990s, and here's Microsoft Access. So... We do it that way. Um, and the way that Workspaces works is that you have a dedicated Workspaces client, so you can't connect to an Amazon Workspace using screens, for example, because it uses a different protocol, which is called PC over IP, which is a slightly different way of doing things than VNC. Um, the differences are not significant, but um, in practice, you can sometimes get better performance with PC over IP because I think it's a little bit more tuned to exactly what Windows does. Uh, I'm not really an expert on how it works under the hood. But what I found, and we are based in Scotland, and we use um, the the Ireland zone in Amazon Web Services. And it's remarkable how performant this is. You know, I, I thought when we got this, I was like, yeah, this is probably going to be okay, but the kids are going to hate it because it's going to be really slow. And it, in terms of like, when you click a button and the checkbox checks, the time lag between that is very, very short. So it's extremely impressive how responsive that is for something that's literally running in another country and sending information to and from our, our iPads in school is remarkably good. So uh, Amazon Workspaces is some, if you need a Windows machine in the cloud and you don't want to run a Windows PC yourself, um, depending on the costs of it, Amazon Workspaces might be the kind of thing that you want to have a look at. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, we actually were profiled by the AWS education team for that. And I'll see if I can dig up a link to, they wrote an article about what we do in school with, with AWS and, and also EC2, which I mentioned that on the last show, we used to do the, the, the programming through Amazon EC2. So you can do that. Um, and also companies like Citrix and VMware also provide these kinds of things as well. You know, some schools who have, uh, they actually have still PCs on the desk in the classroom, even having the actual machine in the classroom, they're still using that machine as kind of like a thin client to connect to a hosted Windows desktop somewhere else. So the thing that kids actually work on is a hosted thing somewhere else on their network but they're also using a PC to do that at the same time. Uh, now, most of these things, they tend to have their own clients for these uh, kind of services. So Amazon Workspace has got their own client. There are definitely Citrix clients and things, um, which are pretty useless when you download them from the App Store unless you have a service backing it up. Um, but they all tend to do the similar kinds of things. The Workspace's client supports trackpad mode and, and tap-to-click mode and things like that. The one thing I wish it supported, which it doesn't on iOS, is printing. 
on the, there's a Mac client for Amazon Workspaces, and it's quite clever because it will actually bridge your printers on the Mac through to the PC, right? This is kind of a weird thing that it can do as well, is you go into print on, say, like Word for Windows, and there's your local printer showing up in this PC somewhere Whoa, else on the really? internet. It's, wow. It, it's really, <laughs> it's very cool. Um, so you can do that on the Mac version. The iOS client doesn't support that. Um, I don't know if it's a limitation of AirPrint or something like that, but I've begged them to do that because it would, it would be life-changing for us. But uh, that's another feature of some of these platforms. It tends to be more on the, on the Mac side than the iOS side, but you can, you can sometimes get things like that where a, a virtual computer in Ireland can print to your printer on your network, which is, is kind of crazy. That's pretty so, cool, yeah. Yeah, these are these are just other ways to do it if if you need to get to Windows rather than uh, rather than iOS. And of course, there are there are VNC servers for Windows as well. I'm not sufficiently up on it to say whether Windows has got one built in these days or not, but no doubt you can you can download one and set it up on your Windows PC, and you could then you can, I presume you could use screens to connect from your iOS device to a PC running a VNC server as well. So, plenty of options as you go along there. Yeah. Okay, so Federico, shall we leave it there? I don't think there's much more to say about uh, VNC clients on iOS. I think, mm -hmm. as you said before, screens is the yeah. is the gold standard and has been for years. And if you need to do this kind of thing, uh, particularly to Macs, but also to PCs using VNC, screens is your VNC client of choice in our in our view. So, uh, big gold star from Canvas to screens. Federico, this has been Canvas episode 53. This has been the one about screens, the one about uh, remote screen access in iOS. You can get show notes for this show at relay.fm slash canvas slash 53. You can connect with us online on Twitter. The show is underscore canvas FM. Federico is Vitici. I'm Fraser Spears on Twitter, and we'll be back with you next show. <laughs>